All right, uh, Joshua chapter 14, the fan's blowing, and my Bible's getting blown all over the place. Here we go. Uh, Vicky and I, sometimes we'll have these conversations, and I'll say something like this to Vicky. I'll say, hey, Vicky, let, let's go do something, and, and, and she'll say, like, well, Kevin, we're not as young as we used to be. Right? And I'll say, well, let's, let's just take the bikes and let's load them up in the truck and let's go to Mineral Wells. Let's ride the rails between Mineral Wells and Weatherford and then we'll go back and she'll just look at me. And she goes, man, you're just, you're, you're, you've lost your ever-loving mind. So the other day I was working in the yard and, and Vicky came home and I said, man, my body tells me today I'm old. <laughs> and Vicky says, well, you might be 57, but you look like 67. Can you believe that she said that to me? I mean, that is, I mean, you pray for Vicky, Okay. And, um, well, today we're going to be in a passage of Scripture. We're going to be looking at what some have called a magnificent old man. Amen? It's good to get old. <laughs> there you go. And uh, in the presence of a very great man, sometimes people are overshadowed. It's not that those who are overshadowed are not are somehow less than those that they're in the shadow too. They perhaps may be even greater in some capacity as the one who is in the spotlight. But for various reasons, certain leaders outshine others, and some leaders are neglected. Certainly that was true for Joshua, who lived for many years in the shadow of Moses. And it would be true for Joshua's peer, Caleb. Caleb lived in the shadow of Joshua. We're not told much about Caleb. Joshua would have been overlooked had there not been a book given to him in the Bible. Caleb obviously doesn't have a book, and he's only mentioned a few times on the pages of Scripture, and three of those occasions are in the book of Joshua. Although we, we may overlook and forget Caleb, Caleb was not forgotten by God or his people. He may have lived in the shadow of Joshua, but he certainly was a magnificent old man. And the question that I want us to consider this morning from Scripture is, what set Caleb apart from others? What made him remarkable? What made him unique? Uh, certainly his circumstances were less than ideal. Uh, Caleb didn't grow up with the best of circumstances. He wasn't raised with a silver spoon in his hand. We can just strike from the record that the circumstances are not the reason why, ideal circumstances are not the reason why Caleb was such a remarkable man. If we were to summarize the life of Caleb, we could say this, that the first 38 years of his life could be summarized by the events, the descriptions that are recorded for us in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, where Caleb grew up and lived as a slave under the bitter oppression of the Egyptians in the country of Egypt. The next 40 years of his life are captured in the summary that is given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and 2, where Caleb wandered in the wilderness day after day, that burning heat, little shade, eating manna, because of the unbelief of his contemporaries who refused to believe God when he said, this is the land that I'm giving to you. The next seven years of his life 
are captured in the summary of Joshua chapter 10 through 12, where his life was marked by war and conquest, conflict as they, they conquered the land in which God was giving to them. Caleb's life, hard and difficult, challenging to say the least. And in Joshua chapter 14, we're going to see three phrases this morning that give to us, I believe, the secret, uncover for us the key for the remarkable life that Caleb lived in those challenging times that he found himself in. In verse 8, we read of Caleb's testimony, the lips, from the lips of Caleb himself, where he says, I have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. In verse 9, we're going to read the testimony of Moses as he described, bore witness to the life that Caleb lived. You have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And then again in verse 14, the narrator is going to put a star beside Caleb's life. And he's going to tell us that Caleb followed the Lord, the God of Israel, how do you think he followed him? Wholeheartedly. And here we see the secret of Caleb's life. Why was he set apart? Why did Caleb not just survive those 85 years of his life? Why did he thrive? In part, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And I believe this is the challenge of the hour today. This is the call upon the church of Jesus Christ today. The, what the world needs to know and see today is that those who profess the name of Christ, that we are those who are following the Lord wholeheartedly, that we are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to follow the Lord fully? How can we thrive in the challenging times we find ourselves living in? those challenging times of soaring inflation and political division and racial tension and, and uh, growing violence and, and this incivility that is just marking our lives and tearing us apart as people of this great country. How will the church of Jesus Christ rise in these challenging times? Well, let's look into the Word of God. I said that twice now, and I'm still not going to get there, so just bear with me. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, you're in Joshua chapter 14 today. Last Sunday we were in Joshua chapter 10. What happened? We're skipping. Let me give you a summary. Joshua chapter 10 records for us Joshua leading the armies of Israel in the southern conquest of the land. Basically, if you go from Jerusalem south to the southern end of the nation of Israel, the border of that, the wilderness area, that is the area that Joshua led the armies of Israel to conquer and to, to, to begin to possess. Chapter 11 is the northern campaign. You go north from Jerusalem up to Lebanon. That is the area that is covered in Joshua chapter 11. God leading, empowering Joshua to, to lead the armies to conquer the land. Joshua chapter 12 is a summary chapter outlining the 31 kings that were conquered that, those are those chapters there. Chapter 13 begins the second half of the book of Joshua. The first 12 chapters have to do with 
conquering the land or taking the land, chapters 13 to 24, have to do with inheriting the land. Where would the nation of Israel lived, live? And we see, beginning in chapter 13, that the land is going to be allotted by tribes. And the tribes are given the inheritance from the Lord. The first tribe to receive the inheritance is the tribe of Judah. And Caleb heads that list. That's where we find ourselves this morning in the Word of God. And so if you have your Bibles open, let's read chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 6 through 15. And we're going to look at the life of Caleb. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still, this is a great, if you underline your Bible, you got to need to underline this verse, right? This is how we grow old gracefully, right? I am still as strong today as, as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. And look at this. But the Lord, what? What does it say? Okay, let's say it again. The Lord, what? Helping me. I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. And so Hebron now has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. And then the land had rest from war. All right? So let's take a look at what God has to say to us here this morning. You say, how do we thrive in challenging times? How do we follow the Lord wholeheartedly? Let me give you four words that describe Caleb's life and lessons that I think apply to us today. Number one, courageous convictions courageous convictions the first way to thrive in challenging times is that we must courageously stand on our convictions right Caleb in verses 6 7 and 8 goes to Joshua and reminds them of what happened at Kadesh Barnea if you're taking notes you may want to jot down numbers chapter 13 and 14 that's where Kadesh Barnea happened And if you remember from your Old Testament, Kadesh Barnea, Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Moses selected 12 leaders, 
one man from each tribe to go into the land that was promised by God and to spy it out. And for 40 days they went into that land and they spied out that land. They, they noticed the produce and the abundance of the land. They, they noticed the, the, the fortified cities and how strong they were. They saw the people, their size and their significance. And they brought back their report. And the majority spoke first. Both verse 8 of chapter 14 and Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 28 tell us what happened when the majority spoke. The majority report said this, or gave, they, they gave the reports, and the effect of that report was that our brothers made our hearts melt with fear. They spoke, but they didn't inspire faith. They raised fear. The land certainly is bountiful. Look at the bounty. We brought a sample here. It is bountiful, as the Lord said. But, I have a friend who says this, anything that comes after but is always a sin. But, the cities are fortified. They're impregnable. We can't conquer them. The people are giants. We're grasshoppers. We don't stand a chance. And the hearts of the people melted with fear. But notice what the word of God says. Verse 7, Caleb speaking to Joshua says, I brought him, that is Moses, back a report according to my convictions. You say, what was that report? Well, that was the minority report of Joshua and Caleb. And Numbers chapter 14, verse 9, give to us that report. And what did they say? They said their protection, the minority report said their protection is gone. The the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now think about what they said. They said, listen, the, the land is bountiful. The cities are fortified. The people are great. But the Lord, they have no protection. They have no defense. The Lord is with us. The the Lord, the one who who brought us out of Egypt. The one who, when we faced the Red Sea, made a way through the Red Sea. The Lord who met with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord who has been feeding us every day manna from heaven. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Caleb possessed conviction and he acted courageously. You say, well, what kind of influence did he have? Well, Numbers chapter 14, the people heard the minority report and know what they did? The Bible says that they picked up stones ready to stone Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua didn't recant. They didn't retract their statement. They remained resolved and steadfast. Caleb stood for his convictions. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have convictions that shape your life? Convictions that you're willing to stake your life on? Do you have a conviction about who God is? And is your conviction about God, is it shaped by Scripture and not what I call Hobby Lobby theology? You know, the little quaint sayings that we put up on our room, uh, up on our walls? You know, God helps those who help themselves. 
Or is your theology shaped by the word of God? Do you have a conviction about the word of God as, as, the, as a revelation of God and as a final rule of practice in life? Do you have a conviction regarding the word of God? Do you have a conviction regarding holiness and purity and, and how life ought to be lived? Do you have a conviction as we see being challenged right now again in our, in our country? Do we have a conviction about the sanctity of life? And when life begins, does it begin at conception in the womb or does it begin sometime later? When does life begin? Do you have a conviction? And while we're at it, do you have a conviction of what is a man and what is a woman? See, we need to have convictions in these challenging times. Our, our, our convictions aren't going to be shaped while we're being pressed but our convictions will shape us while we're being pressed. They'll define us while we're being pressed. And Caleb was able to stand alone in the face of threat and imminent death because of his convictions. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly because of his convictions. Number two, clear vision. A clear vision. Verse 9 we find out that not only must we have uh, courageous convictions, but, but uh, we, we, must, uh, we must have a clear vision. We need to have a clear vision in challenging times. You say, what is a vision? Someone said this, a vision is a picture of God's preferred future. A vision is a picture of God's preferred future. Caleb was able to weather those 40 years in the wilderness he was able to fight the battles as they took the promised land because he kept a picture of what God had promised him. Verse 9, Moses said to him, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. The land that you have seen, the land that you have walked on, the land that others said could never be taken, will be yours and your children, your, that, that of your children forever. You know, think about the vision of the future that Caleb rejected. On that day that the majority report was given, the majority, the people said, let's go back to Egypt. It's better to be a slave there than to be a corpse here. We want to go back. And Caleb said, Egypt and slavery is not a picture of God's preferred future. We can't go back. We're not going back. Think of those 38 years that they walked through that wilderness. Day after day, there was another funeral service. As that generation that refused to believe God died and was buried in the sand. Caleb could have looked at that and said, well, I guess this is as good as it gets. We're never going to see that promised land. We're just going to all pass out here and pass away here. And, and that's, this is as best, this is as good as it gets. And Caleb refused to settle for that. I imagine that there may be some here who find themselves either longing for Egypt or looking, settling for the wilderness and settling for a barren and fruitless life. There's no joy, there's no fruit. 
There's no zeal, no hunger for God. All there is is looking back, looking back to the world with affection and, and saying, well, if I could just fit in with the world, if I just belong with the world, that's when life is good. And Caleb refused to settle for that. Joshua 7, you remember what happened there at Ai? When the people were defeated at Ai because of Achan's sin, do you remember that? And Joshua cried out to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why did you ever bring us here? We should have just settled on the other side of the Jordan. It would have been, we could have just lived on the edge of the promised land. That would have been good enough. Caleb didn't even want just the edge. He wanted to go into the promised land. I think there's the danger and the temptation in the church of those who profess Christ that, that we try to sometimes keep one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We want enough of Jesus to get us to heaven, but not enough of Jesus to change our lives. And Caleb, Caleb kept his vision of God's preferred future in front of him. All those years in the wilderness, those seven years of fighting, he kept his eye on what the Lord had promised. Now look what F.B. Meyer wrote in his commentary about Caleb. He said, amid the marchings and counter-marchings, the innumerable deaths, the murmurings and the rebellious, rebellions of the people, he retained a steadfast purpose to do only God's will, to please him, to know no other leader, to heed no other voice. It was of no use, F.B. Meyer writes, to try and involve that stout lion's cub in any movement against Moses and Aaron. He would be no party to Miriam's jealous spite. He would not be allured by the wiles of the Moabite girls. All of that is in the book of Numbers. Always strong and true and pure and noble, like a rock in a changing sea, like a snow-capped peak in a change of cloud and storm and sun, a man in whose strong nature weaker men could hide and who must have been a tower of strength to that new and young generation which grew up to fill the vacant places in Israel. In him, the words of the psalmist were anticipated that he bore fruit in his old age and to the last was fat and flourishing. Do you have a picture of God's preferred future for your life? What is God's vision for your life, for your family? For this season of your life? Have you thought about that? In 2015, I completed an exercise titled My Life Vision 2025. I was hanging up on my bulletin board in my office and I'm three years away from it. And so this week I reviewed it. I, I, have, I, wrote that vi I wrote a vision statement for five buckets of my life. A family, a personal family, um, vocation, community, church. And I began to look through that as I began to think through, you know, several years ago, God's preferred future and what would that look like. There's progress. There's still road to go. A vision, a clear vision, gives us direction. And Caleb knew where he was going. 
to the land that God had promised him, and he would not be deterred. A conviction gives us foundation. I want you can stand. Vision gives us direction. Number three, vigorous faith. Vigorous faith. Uh, verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, Joshua, or Caleb to Joshua, he says, he reminds Joshua and he says, The Lord has kept me alive these 45 years since we turned back to the wilderness in Kadesh Barnea. Verse 11, I am strong, I am as strong today as I was then. I am as vigorous for battle then, or uh, today as I was then. He was not content to say, hey, I've put in my time, I fought my battle, somebody else can go to war. Somebody else can complete the task. Notice what he said in verse 12. Look again in verse 12. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. The hill country. Sounds like he was from Texas. Hebron. The home of the Anakites. You say, who are the Anakites? The Anakites were the Nephilim of Genesis chapter 6. The giants of the land. They were the enemies of God. They were the ones who would stand in the way of the purposes of God. They would be instruments that would be used by Satan to try to stop the Savior of the world in coming. And Caleb said, give me the land of the Anakites, a magnificent old man. He says, let me take the gospel into the darkest place. I think of a church in El Paso. There's a part of El Paso called the Devil's Triangle. And the pastor said, I want to pastor a church right there. He has a small church. 20-some people right in the middle of the Devil's Triangle. That's the spirit of Caleb. Some might say, well, Caleb, man, he was arrogant. He was full of himself. How, how could this 85-year-old man uh, take on uh, the, the Anakites, the, the giants? He's arrogant. He's boastful. He's prideful. Caleb wasn't full of himself. Did, did, you, did you notice where his confidence rested? Did you hear his faith? Look again at verse 12. You guys see it? What does it say? The last part starts with but. This is one time, but everything else after this is a, is a positive statement. <laughs> i got to retract what I said earlier. We're going to count in the Word of God. All right, what does it say? But what? The Lord helping me. I will drive them out just as he said. Then it was the same thing that Caleb had said 45 years earlier when he gave that minority report. Numbers chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. If the Lord is pleased... With us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. 
if the Lord is pleased with us. What pleases the Lord? Well, being a good person, that pleases God. Working really hard, giving a lot of money, serving in BKC, that has to please God. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Saving faith. Faith is what saves us, not our works. It's what we read in the scriptures this morning. We're saved by faith in the grace of God. If you're counting on anything other than the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ, it's not saving faith. The only way that we can be saved, the only way that we can please God is by faith in Jesus Christ. And Colossians chapter 2 tells us that in the same way that you receive Christ, now walk in him. How did we receive Christ? Starts with F. And how are we to continue walking with Christ? By, by faith. I'm not sure you guys are convinced. It's kind of weak. Listen, self-confidence doesn't please God. In fact, the Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Networks and personal connections, helpful, but they don't impress God. The majority report was wrong. Resources, what we can amass and conjure up together, God's not dependent upon that. Faith. Caleb's vigorous faith, that's what pleases God. And and as I said the past couple Sundays, that, that faith is choosing to live every day as though what God has said is true, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what I feel, regardless of the opinions of others. Caleb was living that way. With God's help, I'll drive them out. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, what is God calling us to do? Where, where is God calling us to, to position ourselves? That, that pastor in El Paso, give me the devil's triangle. Where has God placed you? What is God calling you to? Henry Blackaby, I, I agree with what Henry Blackaby said, that, those, that, that, that following God will lead to a crisis of faith if the direction is the easy way out and doesn't require faith in God, it's probably not of God. So how is your faith being stretched? Where is God stretching your faith? Area of giving? Area of serving? Area of obedience? Leading in your home? Leading in your workplace? What what is God calling you to do? Faith. Vision. uh, uh, Conviction gives us a foundation. Vision gives us direction. Faith gives us energy. Gives us strength. Number four, steadfast perseverance. Steadfast perseverance. Verses 
13, 14, and 15. Joshua blessed Caleb and said, okay, Hebron in Judah is your inheritance. Verse 14, notice what the word of God says. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. How? Wholeheartedly. If we're not careful, we're going to miss between 13 and 14 what actually took place. If you write in your Bibles, you might want to write this, this reference, Numbers chapter 15, verses 13 to 20. Just write that in between verses 13 and 14, because that's what happened, right? We go from, here's the land, Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since, and we miss what happened. Well, what happened was Numbers chapter 15, verses 13 to 20. And what happened there was is that Caleb went to Hebron and he drove out the Anakites and there were three of them that were named there, three leaders, three warrior, tribal warriors, these giants of the land, this 85-year-old man drove out the giants. He didn't shy away from the challenge. He persevered until he took the land and the land has belonged to Caleb, Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since. Raymond Edmond, the former president of Wheaton College, is quoted as having said, it is always too soon to quit. Always too soon to quit. That's good for a football team, right? Always too soon to quit. And we need to, we need to notice this. Right? You guys still with me? Yeah, I have a few more minutes. <clears throat> Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since. That wasn't said for all the other tribes. In fact, when you go over to Judges chapter 15, verse 63, the last verse of chapter 15, people of Caleb's own tribe, look what it says in verse 63. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem to this day the Jebusites lived there with the people of Judah. They couldn't do it. They didn't persevere. They quit too soon. When you go to Ephraim in chapter uh, 16, it says Ephraim could not dislodge the Canaanites so they lived among the people. When you get over to chapter 19, verse 47, the Danites, the tribe of Dan, You go to Israel, when you take the tour of Israel, you'll visit the city of Dan, the very northern part of, of Israel, where idolatry was introduced into the nation, the, the northern tribes of Israel. It, it says that in Dan, Joshua chapter 19, verse 47, that Dan not only could not drive, they lost their territory, and so they moved on. Can you believe that? They lost the place that God gave them, so they moved on. They give up too soon. Not so with Caleb. He persevered until he took the land. What made the difference? Caleb, what do you think? Followed. Who? How? Okay. I'm not convinced. You guys are convinced. 
All right, so I need your help. Caleb followed who? How? All right, okay. He said, what's the key? What's the key to thriving in challenging times? Faith. Faith, yeah. It's not, oh, I just need to have better circumstances. I just need to have people get along with me. It's just not... um, you know, if I could have more resources in the bank, that's, you know, that'll make my life better. No, that, that's not, that, no. What we need to do is we need to be people who are following the Lord wholeheartedly. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you professing Christ as your Savior? And if you are, are you fully devoted to following Christ? This wasn't something that Caleb mustered up on his own. He didn't wake up in the morning and say, I'm, I'm going I'm to follow God wholeheartedly. No, I believe this was Caleb's response to who God is as he understood and he began to see God, the reality of who God is, and, he, and God worked and he, he responded and he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Alan Redpath wrote of Caleb and Joshua's faith. The majority measured the giants against their own strength Caleb and Joshua measured the giants against God. The majority trembled. The two triumphed. The majority had great, God, had great giants, but a little God. Caleb had a great God and little giants. And the question today for all of us is who are we following? And how are we following? Who are we following? How are we following? 